0: Well, hey, everybody,
1: welcome to the Unseminary part- Podcast. My name's Rich, uh, the host around these parts. I'm so glad that you've decided to tune in. We know that you've got a lot going on uh, in your church as you head into this weekend, and uh, we're just honored that you would take some time out. I- I'm really excited for today's conversation, uh, excited for you to learn and for us to lean in together and, and learn from Mark Hearn. Uh, Mark is a pastor of First Baptist Church in Duluth, Georgia. Uh, this is a great church uh, for a number of reasons, but one of the things in particular, it really is a multicultural church church. In the truest sense of the word, we're going to dive into that today and actually hear about kind of the transition from being a kind of monolithic culture church to a multicultural church. And um, when they do interpretation in a number of different languages. and, And so we're excited to have you on the show today, Mark. Thanks for being here.
2: Thanks Rich. Good to be with you.
1: Why don't you tell us, um, why don't we start with kind of tell us about Duluth, um, you know, First Baptist Duluth uh, today, uh, where if people were to arrive today, what would they experience? And then we'll we'll rewind the tape and say, you know, what's happened over the, you know, these last few years. Uh,
2: our church now has 42 different nationalities uh, making up our, comprising our membership. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you come to our church, you'll find that uh, Uh, We have staff members from Nigeria, from Korea, from India, Mm -hmm. um, as well as from the United States. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also host uh, a Korean culture center a couple of days a week, uh, as well as we uh, have uh, a uh, satellite of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and we're the host of the Korean Training Institute of the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. so you'll find music in different languages. Uh, hmm. You'll find people from literally the uttermost parts of the earth uh, worshiping amazing, together man. under one big, giant umbrella.
1: That's amazing. That's incredible. Now, I, I would think, you know, if if someone was to just say to me, tell me, you know, about First Baptist anywhere, that would not typically be the picture that I would, you know, would say. And that's not, I'm not criticizing First Baptist churches of the world. Uh, but, uh, you know, something has happened. Something has transformed at uh, you know, First Baptist Duluth. Here, can, can we hear a little bit of that story? How you know, how how did you begin this transition? What was it that you know started to change from what I would more typically you know think about when I think about you know kind of the kind of monolithic you know Anglo single you know culture church? What what was what where did this all start? Well, when I
2: arrived here in 2010, uh, that was not the. Uh, congregation that Mm -hmm. I came and uh, began to serve. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were a 98, 99% Anglo church uh, in a very rapidly changing community. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I moved into my home in a uh, middle-class neighborhood in Duluth. Mm -hmm. My neighbors to the left of me are a cross-cultural couple. She's uh, Vietnamese, he's Malaysian. My neighbors Mm -hmm. to the right of me are South Asian Indian. Neighbors behind me are from Korea Mm-hmm. Neighbors across the street are from Zimbabwe, down at the end of the street, the cul-de-sac. Mm-hmm. There's a doctor from Puerto Rico, and across the street from them say, a multi-generational family from Nigeria, and mm-hmm. none of those people groups uh, were in our congregation. Mm-hmm. So I knew that if we were going to reach our community,
1: mm-hmm.
2: my neighborhood was a microcosm of the entire community. Mm-hmm. Uh, Duluth is uh, one of the most diverse communities in all of America. Gwinnett Mm -hmm. County, where I serve, is one of the most diverse counties in all of America, Mm -hmm. and it's rapidly becoming that. Mm -hmm. It became majority-minority in 2010 census, Mm -hmm. about 40 years ahead of the national curve. Mm -hmm. But what we're learning and what we're doing, I think, is something every city is going to have to face and do Mm -hmm. in order to be effective in their local communities.
1: All right. This is why I want people who are listening in. This is why I want people to, to lean in every community of the you know the thousands whatever 5,000 people that are listening in today all, your your community is more culturally versed today than it was 10 20 years ago and it is becoming more culturally diverse that's just the reality that is what's happening uh, which is amazing you know praise God that's incredible um, and and the thing I love about this story is it, it really is a kind of an opportunity even you and you mentioned it there you know Duluth is 40 years ahead of of, of the rest of the country or of the national average um, and so so walk us through you know, what were some of the early changes? Change in church in any way is hard, uh, but specifically I would think cultural change and becoming a multicultural church is, is significantly difficult. Um, what were some of those early changes that, that you were able to see your church uh, step through and how did you do it? A couple,
2: couple of key things we uh, we honed in on immediately. One, our church was very mission-minded, very mission-giving church, mm-hmm. uh, so we decided to be very intentional about our, our missionary causes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did some research as to what were the largest unreached people groups locally, mm-hmm. and we began to plant churches in those strategic areas. Hmm. Uh, we began with South Asia India. Uh, mm-hmm. We also moved from there to Mexico, eventually to Nigeria, and then uh, to mainland China. Huh. Uh, planning churches in areas where we saw a great population of people group in our local area. So when you come across someone in the local community and say, hey, I've been there, or our church is sponsoring a church there, and immediately you've got a conversation start.
1: That's amazing.
2: Uh, that's so,
1: that's cool. What a great tactic. I love that. Um, you know, it, yeah, that, that what a fascinating thing about, hey, we're going to do something across the world to help us reach here, uh, you know, more. That's amazing. What What other things did you do? Another thing we did was everybody loves a party.
2: So uh, we began to look at some uh, opportunities that we could celebrate alongside of. Mm. I call this the difference of ministry with and ministry to. Mm. Uh, There are a lot of churches that do ministry to people groups in their community. Mm. Uh, They minister to the Hispanic population or they minister to... Uh, the African-American or the African population, Mm -hmm. Uh, but they don't come alongside of them and say, what can we do with you? Mm -hmm. So we began to have some celebrations that we would celebrate throughout the year uh, to be able to uh, have some cross-cultural exchange. Mm -hmm. We celebrate Indian Independence Day on the Sunday closest to August 15th every Mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. Uh, We celebrate East Asian New Year because more than half the world population Celebrates New Year on a lunar can- calendar as opposed to a solar calendar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we celebrate alongside of them for East Asian New Year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we celebrate Tres Reyes Magos, Three Kings Day, a largely Hispanic celebration at Christmas time where the <laughs> Three Kings the, uh, bring the gifts to the children. And so we have a great big banquet with a mariachi band and the Three Kings come and give gifts to all the children that are present. We had a new one we just did last Sunday. We celebrated Island Sunday. Mm. We have uh, people from nine different island nations, had a Caribbean lunch after church on Sunday morning, uh, had Caribbean music during our worship time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're just celebrating alongside of the people who live in our community, and that deference to one uh, people group has an openness to all people groups that, mm-hmm. hey, these people love us for who we are mm-hmm. and desire to know who we are.
1: Hmm. Now, what have you done on, um, I see when I'm, you know, on your website that you've done uh, interpretation of your services as well. I know some sometimes, you know, this question comes up, you know, how how do we provide, you know, language and culture are so connected to each other and, and how do we um, you know, what can we do on that front? And I notice you've, you know, you do, you do live translation. Tell us a little bit about that process. How, what's that been like?
2: Well, language is the biggest uh, barrier uh, to try to cross culture. And so we decided to try our best to take that away. Mm -hmm. Uh, We knew that our schools are populated uh, with people from all these different culture groups and they're able to do it. How much more so should the church with a much higher calling uh, be willing to go the extra mile to make this take place. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of language churches in our area, mm-hmm. and we, we don't want to cast stones at that, uh, but we say that's just disingenuous with what we're trying to do. We're not going to mm-hmm. have different language churches meeting at different times in our fellowship. Mm-hmm. But we, what we do is we have uh, language Bible study classes that meet either on Sunday or during the week, and then we come together for a celebrative worship time And we try to cross that language barrier. Mm -hmm. And God has provided us some outstanding interpreters. And we do live interpretation. Mm -hmm. People can check out a headset. Uh, They get the bulletin in their language, the Mm -hmm. sermon notes in their language. uh, And they're able to hear someone uh, speaking in their heart language, Mm -hmm. telling them what's going on in the worship service and and interpreting the sermon uh, as it's being spoken. Mm-hmm. Many people are trying diligently to learn English, and it's a great language tool for them to learn English, mm-hmm. as well as to hear the gospel in their heart language. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been proven uh, that the part of the brain that so uh, emotionally responds to the gospel is the part of the brain that is operated by uh, the same one, uh, the same part of the brain that uh, our language is operated oh. Oh, by. Interesting. So, When you hear in your heart language, you're able to respond emotionally as Mm -hmm. opposed to just intellectually to something. Mm -hmm. So we want people to hear in their heart language so that they can grasp the entire scope of the gospel. So we began with Spanish, (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. which is
2: the largest language group in the area. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've moved to Korean, second largest language group, and we're about ready to add Mandarin Chinese, the third largest language group in our area.
1: Huh. Now so the church I was uh, you know part of we've added uh Spanish uh ad- translation it's very similar um we had this interesting thing happen to us so we've been doing Spanish translation uh, it's been probably four years, three or four years we've been doing it now, and very similar, you know, get your headsets, all that kind of thing. Now, interestingly, over that time, and I, I want you to comment on this, um, what we've seen is that our Spanish-speaking population has definitely grown. So, you, you can see it in, you, you know, just in our services, you can see it. It's a part of, you know, a, infusing in our leadership, and we're, we're seeing that happen, which is amazing. Now, interestingly, people aren't necessarily picking up the headsets. Um, And and what we hear from folks is um, the fact that you would go out of your way to have Spanish translation means that I'm accepted at this church. That this is a place that I can I can come. I can be a part of this church. Now I, I'm I want to I speak English and so I I I don't need the headsets or I want to learn English and so I'm I, I'm taking this as an opportunity. But I love it when my mom or my dad if they're going to come, um, you know they can they can put on their headset and so or on a you know special days on you know Easter Christmas that sort of thing, um, you know when I know I'm having guests here, um, and and that so that's been an interesting lesson for me because um, if you just went by the total number of people who picked up headsets every Sunday, you would say, oh, this isn't working, why are we doing this? But actually the, what that has shown is our our openness to saying we want to be a multicultural church, um, and that has shifted. It, give me a sense, are you seeing that in other churches? Have you seen that sort of thing happen uh, at First Baptist?
2: Absolutely, uh, exactly what uh, you said. Uh, Uh, as I shared earlier, deference Mm -hmm. to any people group uh, shows receptivity to all people groups Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and just uh, for instance uh, when we began Korean translation uh, we had zero attending Korean families now that's a large people group in our area Uh, and kind of the old attaché, if you build it they will come, Uh, if you interpret it they will come Uh, we began with a lady who was interpreting literally for her own practice to herself her husband listened to uh, say, uh, to grade her on how she was doing. Uh, they began to invite other Koreans to come. Uh, we now have, on average, between 40 and 50 Korean participants in our worship mm-hmm. service every single week. That's Only about 10 or 12 of them take the headsets. But what that does is it opens them up to invite their Korean friends who might have uh, limited uh, English skills. To say, oh, this is a place for all people, Mm -hmm. and it's a place where you're going to feel very involved and very much a part. Mm -hmm. So, absolutely, absolutely, it shows your receptivity Mm -hmm. to be able to uh, uh, have all people groups become a part of the body.
1: Now, how has this changed your preaching, your communication, you know, as a a person? Because, you know, language is one thing, but there's, there, there is. You know, cultural innuendo and and you know just stuff built into our language that I, I know for me, um, as we've stepped into this a little bit and and I, we still have a long ways to go we have to learn from folks like yourself. Um, you know, we're just learning all the time. Like, oh my goodness, there's so much cultural stuff <laughs> that I just took for granted. How has this changed? Yeah, you know, you as a communicator.
2: Well, it it certainly is a is a uh, learning curve process. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my interpreters consistently tell me uh uh that was a an american phrase that that doesn't interpret well or uh or we may need to know it ahead of time mm-hmm. uh, i've tried to uh simplify uh some of my illustrations mm-hmm. as well as uh, the use of humor trying to be certain that it it crosses cultural barriers mm-hmm. another thing is i use powerpoint uh, in mm-hmm. my messages mm-hmm. and, oh, good. and i've tried to make sure that all of my slides uh uh, photographs and things are reflective of diversity. Uh, mm-hmm. Just be sure that uh, that that mental image that someone has when they're watching uh, the PowerPoint slides, hey this is a place where
1: where there's a receptivity, mm-hmm. very cool. Well, this has been great. One of the things I notice when I'm, you know, on your site is, you know, you have a, a very multicultural staff. You know, your leadership clearly um, is reflecting, you know, the kind of missional um, drive of your church to try to become more multicultural. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Is that has that been intentional or has that kind of fallen out? There's a cart and horse issue there, um, you know, with this. How how has that related as you've, you know, looked at, you know, kind of your leadership?
2: Oh, it's been very intentional. Uh, one of the one of the uh, things that I believe has to happen in order for multicultural to take hold is there has to be shared leadership. Mm-hmm. And it began with our deacon body. Uh, this is a 130-year-old Southern Baptist church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually in a deacon's meeting that I was not present in, it was a summer deacon's meeting where I was uh, uh, gone away on vacation. The chairman of the deacon says we're about ready to elect deacons for the coming year. So during our nominating process, we need to really seek out some people of of diversity mm-hmm. whom we feel would would make a difference on this deacon body. Mm-hmm. And we ordained uh, the first five uh, non-American born deacons in the 130 year history of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, we've uh, added another three uh, people of diversity since that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the same thing with our staff to be able to, as, as we were uh, rebuilding staff over a period of time, mm-hmm. uh, to look and see people who can help us to reach across cultural barriers. Mm -hmm. One thing we've been very careful about, uh, we do not have a minister to the Korean community, Mm -hmm. a minister to the Hispanic community. These are people that are ministers to the church body Mm -hmm. who happen to be Korean, who happen Mm -hmm. to be Mm -hmm. Nigerian, Mm -hmm. who happen to be uh, South Asian Indian, uh, because the one thing we didn't want to do is to segregate our body based upon leadership.
1: That's very good, that's very good, you know i think our our instinct can be. Um, like you say, to just kind of narrow down and say these people are going to you know reach out as opposed to hey we're all together in this. This is uh, this is amazing. I I hope people that are listening in are catching both a bit of the heart and and even just some of the early um, you know lessons that you've uh, you know you've laid out. Now you've you've actually written a book about this that I would love for people to pick up. It's called Technicolor: Inspiring Your Church to Embrace Multicultural Ministry. Fantastic resource that that just came out. Um, t- tell me why you wrote this book. Why was it that you were you know you said oh, I, I want to pull this all together. That's a, a tremendous amount of work outside of just your normal ministry. Uh, wh- why did you decide to write this book?
2: Very early in the process, I began to seek uh, resources, uh, uh, books, or just people whom have traveled this journey and could, uh, could help me to understand uh, what we're facing and, and how that uh, uh, we could be effective. And what I found was uh, just a dearth of materials. Uh, there's just practically nothing out there. Especially about transitioning an existing church, there are several things in there about plant, several things out there about planting intentionally multiethnic churches, uh, but very little about transitioning churches. Matter of fact, the only book that I could find, The Color of Church, uh, written by Rodney Wu, a, a fellow Southern Baptist, uh, published by the same publisher that published my book in 2009, uh, so it had been years since anyone had even written on the subject. And very little being shared about it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I, I shared that with several people whom uh, I have confidence in. They said, "You need to you need to journal your journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you Need to tell people uh, what worked for you, what didn't work for you, what mm-hmm. were the trials, uh, what were the errors." Uh, and so that's what this is. This mm-hmm. is a this is a journal of a uh, seven year journey, mm-hmm. uh, going from a monolithic church to a very multicultural community. Mm-hmm. Uh, And it has uh, both trials and triumphs uh, uh, within it. It's got uh, hardships. It's got uh, uh, here are the folks who opposed it and why they opposed
1: it and how we dealt with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is amazing. The thing I love about this story, I love about the book, I love about your leadership is exactly that. Leaders who are listening in, you know, all of our churches— we need to become more multicultural. This is a, um, you know, it's, it's not only a gospel imperative. Ultimately, this that's where the kingdom ends up. Uh, yeah. But it's a strategic imperative. We have to also think through in our particular communities and how we do this. And a part of what I love about what Mark has done here is he's laid out for us um, some real practical, tactical steps, change in church is hard, and he has... He's really walked through this and made it. Um, it's a great resource for us to, to wrestle through. So I would strongly encourage you to pick one up. Um, if people want to grab a copy of this book, Mark, where can they do it? I'm assuming Amazon. Um, where, where else could they, they pick up the book if they're, if they're interested?
2: Anywhere where Christian books are sold. Uh, it's a product of Broadman-Holman, uh, Lifeway stores, but also any Christian bookstore as well as Amazon, any, anywhere you can order it.
1: Right. Was well, there anything else you want to uh, say to our listeners before we move on to the lightning round, the way we wrap up the show?
2: We are in the process of putting together a uh, first time ever Technicolor conference. Uh, we're trying to gather together people for the very purpose of um, uh, trying to uh, help people in transitioning churches in particular. Uh, Mosaics Global Network, a uh, A national organization that's helping churches come together to just resource together is sponsoring that conference. But it's also being co-sponsored by Lifeway Christian Resources, Mm -hmm. uh, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, the Ethics Religious Liberty Commission, the Southern Baptist Convention, the Georgia Baptist Convention. Mm -hmm. So God's doing some neat things Mm -hmm. to bring people together. And we've not set a definite date uh Mm -hmm. we're hoping for late january early february 2018 Mm -hmm. but we've got a website that we're in the process of building www.technicolorconference.com
0: this is the Unseminary Podcast, stuff you wish they taught in seminary.
1: Well, we're going to jump into the lightning round, that part of the episode where we uh, you know, answer similar questions of everybody that's on the show. Uh, today, we've been just honored to have Mark Hearn with us from uh, First Duluth, a great church uh, that really has had an incredible transition over these last uh, number of years, last seven years or so around transitioning, really becoming a more multicultural uh, ministry. Mark, what is an online resource that you've been using these days that's been been helping you out?
2: I just mentioned Mosaics Global Network, and uh, they've got several resources on their webpage. Uh, that's a resource that I would recommend anyone who's traveling a multi-ethnic uh, uh, journey.
1: Great. So, yeah, their website is mosaic m o s a i sorry m o s a i x dot You can check them out. They uh, do a great uh, great job for sure. Um, you know, what's a uh, when or what's a book you've read? I don't know in the last six months to a year that's that's shaped your thinking, shaped your ministry.
2: I've just finished reading the 3D Gospel by a guy by the name of Jason George. Okay. Uh, and it has really opened my eyes that uh, the Gospel is the same for every culture, but there's dimensions to the Gospel that are communicated differently in every culture. I would mm. highly recommend the 3D Gospel by Jason Georges. Very cool.
1: If you could get 15 minutes with any leader alive, uh, who would you want to get that with and why?
2: Oh, Dr. Billy Graham, no doubt about it. Uh, Fantastic. Uh, The person who has really uh, shaked the world with the gospel in my generation, Mm -hmm. uh, I would want to just spend 15 minutes with him would be awesome.
1: Mm -hmm. And even on this issue specifically, in a lot of ways, he was a forerunner in, um, you know, really trying to to build bridges and, you know, work together with people from a wide variety of backgrounds. Absolutely. Um, that, That goes back decades in his ministry for sure. That's great. Well, I know uh, leading a church uh, like First Duluth is a, a lot of a lot of work, a lot of a lot of output, takes a lot of energy, and then writing and conferences and all that. Gosh, that's, I don't know how you keep up with all that. Uh, but in your personal life, when you just want to kick back, relax, have some fun, what where, what do you like to do?
2: Well, I love to read. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm a prolific reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, I love to run. I just oh, started doing cool. this uh, in the last couple of years, uh, and when I r- run, I just have so much better day. I. I Matter of fact, I just came from my run this morning before yes. uh, our uh, uh, podcast. So uh, uh, those two things are are things that keep me going intellectually and physically.
1: That's f- fantastic. Well, Mark, if people want to get in touch with you or with the church or, you know, with Technicolor, all that, what's the best way for them to do that?
2: Uh, our website is DuluthBaptist.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, a, that's a great way to get in touch with us. Uh, I would certainly encourage you. Uh, I try to return emails within the next day or within the week at least. uh, And you can uh, get in touch with me through there.
1: Thank you so much, Mark. Really
0: appreciate being on the show today.